If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 1. We've been going through the Bible approaching Christmas, and I'd back a few Wednesdays ago, I'd said that we were going to look at the characters of the Christmas story. Uh, Tonight, uh, we're going to be doing the Christmas play and the musical here at uh, Zion Baptist Church. The choir is going to be singing. And then somehow or another, Terry uh, wrote me and Shane and Wade and and Debbie into into doing the characters of this story. And Montana, that's right. right. How in the world he got it, I don't know. But... uh, But one thing, in any story, there has to be characters, right? And we've been looking at the characters of the Christmas story. Uh, Back a couple of Wednesdays, we talked about Joseph. And uh, uh, I'm going to tell you, if you don't come on Wednesday night, uh, as we gather in the little chapel there, and we open up the Word, and, you know, we don't have all the singing and all the stuff that goes on, so we've got more time to explore what God's Word uh, says in an informal setting, uh, you're missing out. I'm telling you, you're missing out. And uh, But we looked at Joseph and, uh, you know, the, the character of Joseph and the role he played in the Christmas story. You know, Joseph had a problem. There was a, a dilemma that he faced. I mean, here you've got this man and he's a betrothed to this woman and all of a sudden she takes a trip and she's gone for three months and comes back and says, oops, I'm pregnant. That's a problem for Joseph. But then God didn't leave Joseph with that problem. He gave Joseph an epiphany. Joseph had a dream for the dilemma that, Joseph, don't you worry about this. See, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, yes, Mary's pregnant, but the child that's inside of her is placed there by the Holy Spirit of God. And Joseph, here's what he's going to do. And he explained to Joseph, the purpose of it. So Joseph had a dilemma. Joseph had a dream. And then Joseph had a decision. What am I going to do with this information that God has given me? Well, the Bible simply said that he trusted God. And he took Mary unto him to wife. Well, last Sunday, I'm going to tell you what, church. I had this big message prepared I'm going to tell you about the wise men. It was going to knock his socks off, and then God knocked our socks off, right? <laughs> uh, literally, in some cases. Uh, we sent out a little message about the wise men, right? I mean, you stop and think about that, the gifts that they give to little baby Jesus. Gold. Uh, I mean, a gift fit for a king and frankincense that they used, you know, there on the altar and myrrh just the purpose in those gifts and that was in that little short message that hopefully you got last Sunday morning and how the wise men heard the voice of God and then traveled so far to see something they had never seen before. So they did this on faith. I mean, it don't take much faith to leave here and go to Disney World because you've seen that thing on TV. But they didn't have the TV and 
They'd never seen a little stall over there in Bethlehem or wherever they were with a little baby laying in it. They had never met Mary or Joseph. As a matter of fact, other than from uh, the message from God, they didn't know anybody that knew them. But by faith, in faith, they went on this journey to pay homage and to worship the Christ child. They were obedient. So just like Joseph, they had a decision to make. What am I going to do with this information that God has given me? Well, then today we're going to look at Mary, the mother of little baby Jesus. But as I was studying this week, there was something that just jumped out at me. I mean, it literally, I don't even, it was like it was going over my head. And it was the, the truth of what I'd been studying that I hadn't quite grasped yet. And it came to me not uh, through Mary or Joseph or the wise men, but through this play that Terry's going to do, uh, that she's, what do you call it, directing, directing tonight. And here's what the, the gist of the, all of that is. It doesn't matter the characters in the story. I mean, God uses characters and he lets characters be a part of the story and thank God for that, amen. You're part of his story too. But what really matters is the story. The meaning of the thing, what's being told, what's being demonstrated. See, when we look at Joseph and we talk about Joseph and all that happened to him, it was really about the child that Joseph was being told about. Well, you look at those wise men. I mean, they brought gifts, valuable gifts. I mean, those wise men were not poor men. As a matter of fact, the gifts they gave Jesus were able to sustain his family for those years down in uh, Egypt when they were in danger and, and possibly even uh, sustain them throughout Jesus' time of growing up. Uh, so God provided for him. And, and he'll sovereignly provide for you if you'll just simply trust him this morning, regardless of the circumstances of life. But the gist of that is it's not the wise men, it's not the gifts, but it's the child that they were bringing the gifts to. Well, this morning as we come to Mary, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of lessons that we're going to look at and be able to learn from this uh, sweet little girl uh, named Mary. But I want to tell you something. That's just profound come to me this week. It ain't about Mary. It's about the child that was in Mary's womb. The child that was born to her. Now, was she Jesus' mama? Yes, she was. Just as much as Shane's her children just as much as your, your children's mama. Uh, but she understood that the purpose of her giving birth to this child was to give him back to humanity. So she understood that one day this child that she held in her hand was going to literally lay his life down for the sins of the world. And Mary still answered that call. But it's not about her, it's about the child that would give his life for the sins of the world. So anyway, let's read Luke chapter number 1, beginning at verse number 26. The Bible records these words. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, 
Thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you take this word that we've read this morning in these next few moments. Father, we ask that you'd help us that our hearts would be open to take in what we hear. But God, even more than that, we ask that you'd help us to take in the meaning of the story. We're going to be talking about Mary, but it's about Jesus. We talked about Joseph, but it was about Jesus. We talked about the wise men, but it was about Jesus. So Father, help us this morning. That as we go through this Christmas season and leave this place today, that Lord, all the trappings, the trees, the presents, the gatherings, the parties, and all of that, God, help us to remember that it's about Jesus. And Lord, let that sink down in our heart. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, in the Catholic Church, Mary has an elevated position. As a matter of fact, every single year the Pope receives hundreds of thousands of letters asking that Mary be named the co-redemptrix with Christ. Um, anyone who would look at this scripture we just read would know that's not possible. Um, so while we don't place Mary up here on an elevated place like the Catholic Church does, we understand and know that she was chosen and she has a special place among people. And there's a lot that we can learn from her this morning. So that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, for just a few minutes this morning, I'd like to share with you three uh, essential qualities of Mary that I believe if we listen and we take these let them sink way down in us and then leave this place and leave those out that we can bring glory to God but also change us and in that change the world. Uh, quality number one, the essential quality of Mary's character. Look what the Bible says here in verses, uh, I'll start at verse 26. And then the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. The character of Mary. These opening verses actually tell us about who Mary is. And I would say the first thing that the Bible tells us about who Mary is is that she was a pure woman. She had lived a life. See, Mary had lived a life in such a way that when it came time for God to use her, that Mary had made the decisions necessary to be that clean vessel that God could use. 
Not that Mary was perfect, but Mary had decided God has set some boundaries and God has done said some things and I believe those things that God has said and therefore since He said them and since I believe them, I'm going to live them out in my life. So the Bible says here that uh, she was uh, in a city of Galilee, Nazareth, and she was a pure, she was a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. Well, I believe that's a good principle for all of us to hear this morning. That God sets out principles and lays out things in His Word. He tells us what's right and what's wrong. And as we go throughout our life, like Mary, we ought to say, okay, God said this, I'm going to agree with Him, and therefore I'm going to live it out in my life. Now, I've got good news for you. How many of you here this morning ain't done that exactly right? Amen. I hope every single person in this room would be willing to admit that you ain't perfect, neither am I. We've all made mistakes. So you may not be just like Mary this morning. You may have done things that, hey, it's going to bring disrepute or it's going to bring disrespect or it's going to bring a reproach upon the name of Christ. Hey, I've even done things that if, listen, if it come out in the world to know about it, you talk about these politicians that said things 30 and 40 years ago that now they're apologizing. Well, I've said them all. And listen, I'm ashamed of them. But I've got good news for you this morning. There's a God in heaven who loves you and said, yes, you may not, you may be here this morning, you may have done things and you may be ashamed of those things, but that's the whole purpose of this little baby being born so that you can be made pure in the eyes of God regardless of what's going on. So the character of this woman Mary, it wasn't that she wasn't a sinner. It was that she recognized that God was in control and she had submitted to him. She said, I'm going to do it his way. And if you're here this morning, you've been doing it your way, the lesson we can get from this is stop. Repent and go in a different direction and do it God's way. And as we do it God's way, then he can use us as that vessel like he used Mary. You say, oh, well, I'm not going to be used as the birth of the Savior. No, that was a one-time event. But he's got something to use you for. We've got to keep ourselves in the place that we can be used of God. The character, the essential qualities of Mary's character, she was pure. Something else that just in this passage that just jumps out at me is that the Bible says over here that she was, or the angel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Well, if you were going to qualify what's that really mean you could say it means something like Oak Hill a little place that if you'd have went a distance off and said hey I'm from Nazareth they'd have said where's that I mean a little no name place this wasn't a famous little girl it was a little backwoods place and that tells me something that Mary lived in such a way and understood that God doesn't uh, he's not a respecter of persons and he doesn't need the famous people or the rich people or the educated people or the well-known people. But if we'll simply submit our lives to him, he'll go to the backwoods, to the little oak hills of the world and find the person that'll do something for his glory and to bring his name or make his name known among men. So the essential qualities of Mary's character, she understood that no matter where she was, God could use her. She'd simply submit her life to Him and keep herself uh, pure before Him. The Bible goes on and says, 
a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now there's some dispute on what that name really means, favored among uh, women, uh, a beautiful lady, depending on what kind of uh, language you use. But listen to what the angel said to her. Favored among women, if that's what she means. And the angel came in to her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now what does that phrase, thou art highly favored, uh, if you were to make a literal translation into the language we speak today from the original Greek that this was written in by Luke when he wrote this, it would say something like this. Mary, uh, I've come to you and you are pursued by the grace of God among people. And because you've been pursued by the grace of God among people, you are highly blessed. So Mary was a, a woman that understood that she uh, needed the grace of God, needed the favor of God. And the Bible says, blessed art thou among women. It doesn't say above women. It's not that Mary's up here and all other women. It said, blessed art thou among women because you've been pursued by the grace of God. Now, what's that tell me? Well, because she was blessed among women, she was blessed among the people, not above the people. That tells me that God's pursuing each of us this morning with His grace. And He allowed you to get up out of your bed this morning and get in your car and drive to this place, walk to this place, bring a bicycle to this place and sit in this pew and hear these good hymns about the birth of Christ being sung and hear the Word of God being opened and read in your uh, presence this morning and hear the prayers of the people of God and the praises of the people of God. Why? Because He's pursuing you by His grace. He's got some reason, some uh, uh, bigger plan for bringing you here and allowing you to sit in this service this morning. And because of that, He wants you to bring glory just like Mary did through your life to Him. So Mary was pursued by grace and she was blessed among women. But not only that, I want to share something else and this is the one of the thing. Turn, turn in your Bibles over there to verses 46. This is after all this had taken place. And listen to what the Bible said in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The essential quality of Mary's character is she realized that she was a sinner needed a Savior. Had she tried to live God's way? Yes, she had. She kept herself pure. Had she listened to God and been obedient to Him and, and, and said, hey, I'm open to be used of you even though I'm a little country girl from this little town over here in Nazareth? Yes, she had. But she understood above and beyond everything that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. So she said, uh, God, my Savior. And I've said this a hundred times and I'm going to say it again. The biggest problem in churches all over America today is not that we're too uh, evil or too bad. It's try as hard as you can. You can't find a sinner in the house. We all think more highly of ourselves than we ought. 
And this little girl who was pure and had done it right understood that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not most. That's not 99.99%. That's all have uh, sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if we're going to have an essential uh, quality like Mary had about our character is to realize that we're not perfect and that we need a Savior. Without that Savior, we're doomed. But not only do we see the essential quality of Mary's character, we see the essential quality of Mary's child. Thank God we see that of Mary's child. You see, the Bible goes on and says here, and when she saw him, she was troubled at uh, uh, saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, one of the essential qualities of this child that Mary was carrying in her womb is that he was and is the Redeemer. Literally, that name Jesus means Savior. It means Redeemer. Now, if you'll open your Bible and turn back there in the Old Testament, that's where you really get a picture of what that word Redeemer means. One of the prettiest pictures in the Bible uh, is of a Redeemer is you know the story of Ruth and of course, Ruth was this pagan girl and everybody in her family had died and she found herself alone over here in a land of people that she didn't even know. And uh, She had a mother-in-law there and uh, she met this man named Boaz. And of course, Boaz was rich and he owned a bunch of fields and uh, he met Ruth out there in the field, uh, uh, you know, just picking up the scraps that was left over so she wouldn't starve to death. And he told his workers, he said, hey, you see that little pretty girl out there picking up? Uh, scraps in the field, don't you bother her. As a matter of fact, as you're uh, getting up all the stuff out of the field, all the harvest, I want you to throw a little bit more on the ground so she can get it. Well, the next thing you know, old Boaz, he sends somebody to introduce him to Ruth, and he introduces. Well, the next thing you know, Boaz is buying back all that had belonged to the family of Ruth so that she would be redeemed and own all that was intended for her. You see, he paid the price so that Ruth could have all that God intended for her. There's another story that kind of pictures that in the Old Testament. It's about a man named Hosea. And Hosea had a wife that wasn't too faithful. I mean, she ain't the kind of wife you'd want, fellas, I'm telling you now. Uh, but God told him to marry her, so this is on him, and it's his story. And next thing you know, she's out literally running around having babies that don't, don't belong to Hosea, and she's selling herself into prostitution. And lo and behold, she runs off one time and literally gets herself sold into slavery. Well, now, Hosea had a right to go down there uh, when she was on the slave block and she was being sold uh, as a slave and go down there and disown her, divorce her, say, I don't want nothing to do with you and, and you're worthless, you've walked out on me and you don't deserve anything I could give you. He had every right to do that. But what Hosea did is he goes down there, this wife who had betrayed him, this wife that had turned her back, this wife that had, was literally on the slave block being sold into slavery, and he bought his wife 
off of the slave block and took her back into the home and said, I will forgive you. Now, if that's not a picture of this thing we call a redeemer, this Christ child, because you and I were on the slave block of sin and there was nobody in the world, we didn't have enough, the richest person in the world did not have enough to buy us off of that slave block of sin. And I want to tell you something, you may not think it this morning, but uh, if you're here this morning and you're not saved by the grace of God, Jesus uh, has done everything you need to be saved, but you belong to Satan this morning. And what is that? that you need to be saved. Well, Jesus himself, while you find yourself on the slave block being sold to sin, went to the cross and God said, there's a high price for your sin. Higher than anybody can pay. It's so high that the only person that's capable of paying it is my sinless, perfect, virgin-born son that we celebrate this morning. So Jesus goes uh, up and they place him on that cross and they literally nail Jesus to that cross. And most people think that's the worst punishment. But that's not the worst punishment that Jesus faced that day. Because the Bible says that God himself turned his back on his precious son. And for all eternity... God the Father and God the Son had lived together in one uh, uh, unity with perfect fellowship, perfect peace. And all of a sudden God says, I'm turning my back because you've become sin for them. That's the punishment. That's the price. That's the price that Jesus paid to redeem me, to redeem you. That's the child. But it gets even better because he's not just a redeemer. One of the essential qualities of this child that Mary was carrying, that he's also ruler. You see, they took him down from the cross and put him in a tomb and he got up. <laughs> that was God saying, all right, the price was enough. I'll accept the payment for their sin. So Jesus got up from the grave and look what the Bible says here. here and he shall be great. And shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Do you remember back there in the Old Testament when God spoke to David and he said, David, I'm going to give you the throne of Israel, and you're going to unite the tribes of Israel, and there's going to someone of your lineage sit on the throne of Israel forever? Well, Solomon come along, next thing you know, he wasn't doing too good. And then next thing you know, the kingdom would split again. And then before you know it, there's being carried off into exile. And before you know it, Israel wasn't even a nation anymore. So what's up, God? Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. From the line of David. You see, not only is he the redeemer, but he's the ruler. And like it or not, our world needs to realize that this morning. Jesus Christ sits on the throne of heaven and he's great and he's called the son of the highest and God has given him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So this child was not only the redeemer, but this child that was given to Mary is the ruler of the universe that God has created there's royalty in his blood. There's a crown on his head. There's a scepter in his hand. There's a universe under his feet. And he is this morning, as we celebrate him in this little manger, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's an essential quality of this child that was in Mary's womb. I'm going to ask Terry if she will. 
I just think it so points this out this morning. Uh, I was thinking about early this morning, Jesus being this child that Mary had in her womb. And just ask yourself, did God told her this, but did she really understand? You know, we know all of this this morning as we gather here, but I wonder how much, is, how many of us, and how much. We really understand the truth of this statement that Jesus, this little baby in her womb, was the redeemer of the world, but not just the redeemer of the world, the ruler of the world. So we've seen the essential qualities of her character, the essential qualities of her child. But probably for us this morning as we leave this place, the most simple but most profound that we need to capture is the essential quality of the consecration of Mary. You see, all this was just a plan in God's, you know, redemption of the world where he was using people to do it. I don't know why God chose to use people, but he did choose to use people. He gives us that privilege. So he comes to Mary and he, you know, talks to her and tells her what's going to happen. And in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, Well, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. And you know, each of us are here this morning. God has a purpose for us. Uh, we don't like to deny it because with that purpose comes the responsibility of living out that purpose. But for each of us, he says... It's not that I just saved you to come sit on a pew on Sunday morning, hear that loudmouth preacher open his mouth and read to you, and you say amen and jump up and down and go home and then forget about it till next week. No, there's something bigger than that. I've called you to do something for my glory. Well, Mary had questions about that, and you and I do too. I'm going to tell you what, the day I was sitting there and I first knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was telling me to leave my job that I'd been at for uh, over 15 years. I was over halfway to retirement in. And lay all of that aside and take the risk of placing my family, uh, my well-being and my family's well-being in his care. I'm going to tell you what, that did not make sense to me at the time and I did not understand. And I know that's not as profound as what Mary was experiencing and uh, all of that, but... The, the gist of it's still the same. And, and as God's calling you this morning to fulfill your purpose and the plan He has and the responsibility of carrying that out, you may not understand why or the big story on what He's doing. But I want to show you what happens to Mary. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore that also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So He's explaining to her, how it's going to take place, right? But then he goes on and he says, uh, with God, nothing shall be uh, impossible. Now, I'm not going to read all that uh, uh, takes place after that because you get over there in Elizabeth and all that took place there. Uh, but later on in that chapter, in Matthew 2 as well as he tells this story, Mary said, be it unto me as you have said. So with all her doubts, with all that she didn't understand, uh, ultimately she said, I'm going to commit myself to you 
that your plan for my life will be fulfilled in me and ultimately through that the world will be changed. You see, the essential quality of Mary's consecration is simply that she said yes. So if you're here this morning, how do you want how do you be consecrated before God? Literally, consecration means set apart, sanctified, set apart for the purpose of God, set apart to be used of God to fulfill the plan He has for your life. So how do I consecrate myself this morning? Yes. So what's God calling you to do this morning? Is He calling you to be saved? Yes. Is He calling on you to take that next step and no longer be a Sunday morning Christian who comes on Sunday morning and sits on a pew and listens to the preacher and goes home and forgets about it till next Sunday? Yes. Is God calling on you to take on greater responsibility amongst the people of God, a leadership role, a teaching role, uh, some type of role ministering to others through the people of God out into the community? Yes. Maybe there's a sin in your life and you know it's not supposed to be there and God spoke into your heart and said, look, you need to stop doing that and, and repent of that thing and turn. Yes. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that needs to be restored. And I'm going to tell you what, bad relationships is one of the, does some of the most great damage to the testimony of God in our lives than any other thing. And you say, God, uh, you've spoken to me and this person's not apologized to me, Lord. And they've not said they were sorry, Lord. And they were in the wrong. It wasn't me, Lord. And he's saying, I don't care. I want you to make that thing right. Yes. As you stand, my question is, are you going to, like Mary, say yes, Lord, to whatever he's called you to do in your life. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, as your people this morning are faced with the decision, Lord, I pray that like Mary, they would seize that essential quality of consecration, that simple word, yes, Lord, be it unto me as thou wilt. And then like Mary, be used of you for your glory. Soften and touch the hearts of your people, I pray. And help us, Lord, to be responsive to the message we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen.